Hello, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. And we hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. And if you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Merry Christmas, Tide. You know, as we settle into this new year, hoping things will be better than the next, I pray that you are experiencing the joy, the love, and the presence of Christ. Um, this week, as we continue to elevate the stories of women, I'm honored to be able to tell you about the work and life of Austin Channing Brown. Um, Austin is a Christian black woman who fights for racial justice through uh, activism and education. And as part of this series, I was committed to telling at least, telling the story of at least one woman of color. After having made that commitment, it wasn't until several days later that I realized that all of the women whose stories that we have explored in the scriptural story, the biblical story, were in fact women of color. Uh, Perhaps this is just a small example of how whitewashed our perspective, my perspective, has become and illustrates the need for work just like Austin's. And so today, let's talk about racism. The topic has been at the center of the cultural conversation in 2020. And we'll even have additional opportunities to think about some of this and discuss these in our upcoming Faith in Film Night, and I hope you'll join us. But, But let's begin with a definition. According to Webster's Dictionary, racism is prejudice against a person or group on the basis of their ethnic or racial identity. You could also say it this way, racism is the belief that different races possess distinct characteristics, abilities, or qualities, especially so as to distinguish them as inferior or superior to one another. Now, having that definition and that framework in mind, let's Pray for God to bless our time together, to give us wisdom as we explore this important topic, as we learn from the life and work of Austin Channing Brown. Heavenly Father, we come humbly to this topic this morning, uh, asking above all for your wisdom, And also asking God that you would fill my words with grace as you have been speaking to me on this very topic over the last several months, going into years. I pray God that you would um, speak to all of our hearts and challenge us and move us in a direction that would be toward your heart. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The enslavement of black people is widely regarded as one of the most egregious moral failures of humanity. And yet, proponents of slavery, uh, when it was really being talked about, often used the Bible to justify their position. And so let's talk a moment about what the Bible has to say about racism. The first thing we need to understand is that the Bible was written in a time when slavery was an accepted norm of society. And the Bible certainly reflects this reality. 
And so as you read the scriptures, you have instructions that are given to slaves and to slave owners. And some have actually misunderstood the mere presence of slavery in the Bible to be an endorsement of it. But this cannot be. Uh, If the mere presence of something in the Bible were an endorsement, then the Bible could be used to justify almost any action. And unfortunately, throughout history, sometimes has been used to justify any action. When the Bible mentions slavery, in the vast majority of cases, it is seeking to bring dignity to the practice and uproot the underlying assumption of slavery, which is that one person is more valuable than another. So instructions are given to slaves for them to work hard uh, for their owners as though they are working for the glory and honor of God. Instructions are then given to slave owners that they are to show dignity and respect to the slave. There's even a story of a slave owner who is wronged by a slave, and the encouragement is given to not only forgive the slave, but also to welcome him back as a brother. And the theological foundation for this is because of the welcome and forgiveness that we have received in Christ. If you'd like to read more about this, you can read this story in the book of Philemon. And so while you may be hard-pressed to find a verse that explicitly condemns slavery, the scriptures clearly lead us to a place where we can understand the grotesque nature of the practice. And the same can be said for racism in general. There isn't a single verse in the Bible that says you shouldn't be racist. But there is a thread of truth that runs through the scriptures that condemns the principle of racism. And it all begins in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, which says, So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This simple verse or this part of the creation story shows us that all of humanity is stamped with the image of God, is an image bearer of God, and is therefore a person of infinite worth. Racism is when we devalue a person based on the color of their skin and fail to see their infinite worth. When we do this, it is sin, and we need to call it as such. Now, of course, this can be applied in any other areas or the ways that we tend to try to separate and draw lines among ourselves. But if we devalue a person, then based on any kind of these criteria, then we are not recognizing the image of God in them. So from the very foundation The scripture is there showing us each person is of infinite worth and an image bearer of God. Now, the Apostle Paul will say in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, quote, There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female, for all of us are one in Christ Jesus. Now, these are powerful words spoken by the Apostle Paul, and they're spoken to a group of Christians that are struggling with who should be allowed or who can be allowed into the kingdom of Christ. 
The Christians had a tendency to draw lines of who is in and who is out, who is allowed and who is not, who is worthy and who is not. And the real battle at that time was over ethnicity. Paul seeks to put an end to all of that with these powerful words in Galatians 3.28. The implication, of course, is that all the categories that can be used to divide us, categories like ethnicity or social status or gender, have no bearing on the kingdom of Christ and count for nothing. This thread is actually continued and found throughout the New Testament where the ancient Jewish people saw Samaritans as second-class people that they weren't supposed to talk to, they weren't supposed to touch, or even be around. And yet, on multiple occasions, Jesus talks and interacts with Samaritans. He even goes so far as to make a Samaritan the hero of one of his parables. Now, we know it as the Good Samaritan. And it's kind of lost its edge over the years and the cultural difference of our time. But what Jesus was doing when he was doing this is not just teaching lessons about doing the right thing. He was actually confronting racial tensions head on. In addition to that powerful statement in Galatians, Paul will also declare in Ephesians 2.14 that Christ has, quote, broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility that is between us. And so the scriptures are actually quite clear. Where we tend to draw lines, Jesus tends to try to erase them. Lastly, the declaration of the Bible is that the Jesus, that Jesus is the world's Messiah, that Christ is the ruler over all the nations, and that the kingdom of Christ has no national boundaries. Think about this with me for a moment. The Old Covenant was entered into through ethnicity, circumcision, and Torah observance. You had to be the right race. You had to participate in this practice, which was only for males. And then you had to follow the Torah by the letter. But in the New Covenant, something really interesting happens. All of a sudden, the New Covenant is entered into by way of faith baptism, and obedience to the ways of Messiah. In other words, what the Bible does is it tells the story of Jesus becoming the world's true Lord by moving from a closed system that was only open to certain people, certain ethnicity, you had to be male, those kinds of things, to an inherently open system where all can call on the name of Christ and be welcomed into this new community that God is building called the church. This reality, this reality that Christ is Lord over all of the nations is portrayed in the final book of the Bible, Revelation. In this important book, John is given a vision that is meant to move us away from the evil ways of empire and toward the loving ways of the crucified and resurrected Christ. And in this vision, John is given a glimpse into the divine kingdom. As part of that vision, here's what it says in chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Quote, I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne 
And before the lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands, they cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to the God who is seated on the throne and to the lamb. What an incredible vision of all tribes, of all nations, worshiping the one who is Lord over all the nations, Christ, who is the Lamb of God. Based on this evidence, and this is only a sample, there is simply no room for racism in the life of the Christian. And and actually, virtually all Christians agree on this point. Uh, Nothing that has been said is controversial at all. But here's the rub for you and I. White Christians typically have one of two responses. The first is we create a narrative that racism is a thing of the past. After all, slaves were freed more than 150 years ago. The civil rights movement in America ended over 60 years ago. And we've even had a black president. And so we say racism is a thing of the past and any cries of racism are just a victim mentality from minorities. That's one possible narrative, one possible reaction. The other thing is we do our best to be nice to people of color uh, so that we can rest quietly knowing that we or I am not racist. And as long as I'm not racist, then the whole thing can be pretty much ignored. This morning, I would like to suggest a third way. Don't ignore or pretend that racism isn't real, but instead grapple honestly with the history of racism in America and choose to listen carefully to the experiences of black people and other minorities in America and hear their stories. And this is where the writing of Austin Channing Brown has been so helpful to me. Let me be honest. All of this isn't easy for me. I am continually evaluating my own biases and tendency to portray black people in negative ways. And with that awareness, I'm doing my best to listen and to learn. And with God's help and with voices like Austin Channing Brown, I do believe that I'm making progress. So would you allow me a few more moments to do my best to portray two impactful stories that she shares in her book called I'm Still Here. This book is well worth a read. And my goal is simply to introduce you to part of her story so that you might be motivated to listen to her tell her own story. Austin grew up frustrated by the fact that she had a boy's name. On the first day of class, she often had to wave her hands frantically as the teacher scanned the boys in the class when her name was called. One day, though, things got particularly frustrating. Uh, She was checking out books uh, out of the library when she presented her library card. The librarian scanned the back and said, is this your card? After nodding her head, yes, uh, the librarian said, are you sure? Uh, This card says Austin. Again, Austin nodded her head. 
And then after another pause, the librarian asked for a third time, are you sure this is your card? With a deep sigh, Austin replied, yes, it is my card. My name is Austin. Now, with books in hand, Austin went straight to her mom and asked a really important question. Why did you give me a boy's name? Her mom began explaining the story that she had heard many times. Austin was your grandmother's maiden name. And since your grandmother's brother didn't have any children, we thought it would be nice for you to carry the last, to be the last in the family to carry the name Austin. Young Austin, however, was persistent and wondered if there was more to the story. With persistence, her mother admitted the rest of the story. This is what she said, quote, We knew that anyone who saw your name before meeting you would assume you are a white man. And one day you will have to apply for jobs. And we just wanted to make sure you could make it to the interview, end quote. That was the moment this little black girl realized that people hadn't just mistaken her for a boy. They had mistaken her for a white boy. She says this in her book, I'm Still Here, quote, That's why the librarian hadn't believed me. She didn't know a name like Austin could be stretched wide enough to cloak a little black girl, end quote. Now let me ask you, a simple question. Was the reality of race on your mind when you named your kids or on your parents' mind when they named you? In a particularly powerful chapter, Austin chronicles a day at work as a professional in the nonprofit sector. She recounts that on any given day, she could be asked multiple times while walking to the nonprofit office where she works if she needed directions. The implication being that a black woman headed to a nonprofit must be poor and in need of help. She talks about how a coworker asks uh, to touch her pineapple fro because it is so beautiful. But when was the last time a coworker asked to touch your hair. She recalls a conversation with a coworker about a work project turning into a conversation on urban violence. In other words, Austin is expected to educate her coworkers when they have questions about race. During a coffee break, she is mistaken for someone else, another black woman who works in a different department. And while she insisted that uh, that they had her mixed up with someone else, the person insisted there was no mix-up until Austin was able to name the, per the other black woman in the other department. The message, of course, was that Austin's body is not distinct. She's interchangeable with all other black women. She also tells the story of how she shares ideas in a meeting, only to have those ideas ignored until they are then repeated, just using different words, by a white coworker, then the ideas are noticed. Hearing even just this small sampling of stories were presented with the two options we talked about earlier. Do we discount them based on the narrative that racism is a thing of the past and Austin is simply playing the victim? Or do we think to ourselves, 
oh, I would never do those things. Again, my encouragement to us is to not, is to take a third route and to not discount these stories. Don't minimize them, but rather listen to the experience of a person who inhabits this world differently than you do. For only when we care and then listen will things begin to change. As Christians, we must know that the scriptures that we call holy show us there is no place for racism in our lives or in our hearts. And then we must face the difficult realities surrounding race in our country and seek reconciliation the best that we know how. The irony is not lost on me. I'm saying this to a worshiping community that is overwhelmingly white in a city that is overwhelmingly white. We may be even tempted to think that conversations about race have no relevance in an area like Fort Collins. But the conversation about race and the work surrounding racism is as real and as relevant here and now as it is anywhere. As I was outlining this message in my office one morning, I came out of the church to head to lunch, and in the parking lot was a black woman who needed to talk to a pastor. She opened the conversation by saying that she feared she was being plagued by evil spirits. And as we talked, she told me a bit of her story, how she had bought a house in Fort Collins a few months ago with a plan to transfer her nursing license to Colorado and offer her expertise in the fight against COVID. What she then faced when she got here, however, was endless racism from her neighbor, a young man who regularly calls her the N-word and does things to continually frustrate and impinge on the rights of this woman. Authorities have been called out multiple times, but those often have resulted in this woman getting a ticket, not the young man. So she asked me, uh, in desperation, what am I supposed to do? As I listened intently to her story, I responded by saying, I believe that you are being plagued by an evil spirit, the spirit of racism. And then I told her that her experience of the world has been totally different than my own and that the best I could do was try to sympathize with her. And that when, when questions like this come up, I often try to answer them as though I were in that person's shoes. And so I said, if I were you, I would be looking to relocate for my own safety and mental health. This black woman looked me right in the eye with a fierceness and at the same time, a love and compassion. And she said to me, if I run, then racism wins. And a black person will never be able to live in that house again. So I have to fight. Wow. I didn't know what to say. So I said to her, let me pray 
that God will give you strength for the fight. And so I prayed with her and I prayed for her the best that I knew how. She thanked me for the prayer and went about her day. These three options feel so very real to me. Believe the narrative that racism is over, its day is done. Individualize it to the point where we just say, I'm not racist, and so then we ignore it. Or we can choose to listen. We can choose to care. Church, we must be able to name evil when we see it. And racism is evil. May it be rooted out of our hearts. And may we be given wisdom and guidance from the Holy Spirit of how to move forward. Because the truth is, I don't have any answers for you. I don't have any real practical steps that you can do. We have some good resources that we could share with you as a church. But ultimately, it's about allowing the Spirit of God to move, of, move in us in such a way that racism is rooted out of our hearts. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy.